Just remain standing and open your heart to the Lord. Just open your heart to Him today, right now. And welcome you, Lord. Joy and peace 
If we just open our hands, the posture of surrender, King of Kings, with open hands, reflecting an open heart, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, and they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes. It is as you say, Jesus replied. And the chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. And a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. And the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them and had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers And they put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. And falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Ah, Jesus. 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 Our hearts ache and break as we consider the depth of your sacrifice. Today, as we have opened our hands before you, we open our hearts to you today. That you might come and have your way. We welcome you to mess up our hearts today, God. Just mess with them. Because, Lord, we don't want to go out the same way we walked in. 
We're entirely uninterested in checking the box. Went to church today. Jesus, we long for transformation, and that only comes from you. We long for life, and that only comes from you. Everything you've got is what we need. So, Lord, we open ourselves to you today. Come, Lord Jesus. Have your way among us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. This morning we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. And we are have come to Mark chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, or if you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the Bible located in front of you and turn to page 721 for the text, which we'll be unpacking here this morning. Continuing with a series of studies in the last portion of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 14 to 16. We've entitled this series of messages, Passion, the Way of the King. And as we have been walking through these passages, we keep coming closer and closer to the mystery and passion of the cross and the resurrection. This morning, as we've come to Mark chapter 15, I've entitled this message, Passion on Trial. Passion on Trial. In the interest of time this morning, I'm not going to unpack kind of all of the historical background and as much as I love all of that, but I really want to get at where I feel like the Lord wants to get at in our hearts today. But I do want you to notice in verse 1, let's start there again, very early in the morning. This is on the, the next day now. We are on Good Friday. Thursday has been the time when the disciples have gathered together to to share together what we call the Last Supper, the, the Passover meal. They've gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus really fought the battle which ended up being expressed and will be expressed in the cross. But the, 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 the heart battle really took place in Gethsemane and the passionate surrender. We've seen the betrayal of Judas the denial of Peter. All night long, Jesus has been in the context of a, 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 a sham court <laughs> going on. It says very early in the morning, so kind of at the break of dawn, the Sanhedrin has now come to a decision. And I want you to notice what it says there at the end of verse 1. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. And the word there, delivered him over to Pilate. Very interesting word. 
it's a word that, that has much more um, import than simply um, some sort of a... It, it isn't just recording an event. There's a prophetic um, element behind that in the delivering over. That it, it means that there was a specific prophetic intentionality is really what's located in the context of that wording there. It's a very specific wording. And I want you to understand that because I want you to, to, to know that Jesus, you know, as it says in the scripture, you, he, they, they didn't take his life from him. He willingly, he willingly chose this path, this way, the way of passion. He'd already told the disciples about it. If you remember back in Mark chapter 10, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And here's kind of a, I love this picture because I think this is a great picture of of our lives and all of those who have encountered Jesus. The disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. (laughs) There's sort of this mixture of awe and astonishment surrounding Jesus. Comes in the context of his conversation with the rich young ruler and and who possibly can be saved, and, and they're astonished. Those who follow are afraid. And again, it says, again. Now, he's, he's told them before. He told them when, when uh, Peter made his declaration of Jesus. Pastor Dave referenced that last week. When um, Jesus made the declaration of, of, of the cross that was before him, and Peter took him aside and said, uh, Lord, can I please correct your theology? That's not going to happen to the Messiah. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. But in this case, again, it says he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. We just read it, Mark 15. What happened? He was brought. Betrayed to the chief priests, teachers. Condemned to death. Hand over to the Gentiles. They mocked him. They spit on him. They flogged him. They're going to kill him. This was not simply a random series of events. Jesus is not simply a, um, you know, he's innocent, but he's not simply an innocent who's been caught up in events beyond his control. No, in all of this, Jesus has been firmly fixed in the center of the will of the Father, knowing exactly what it is that he has been called to do. Isaiah 53, we could take time, we won't, this morning to read all of Isaiah 53. But in verse 7 and 8, it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Remember Pilate's response to Jesus, his silence? He was amazed. Aren't you going to say something in defense of yourself? 
By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. We're going to get into the heart of that next week when we come to the cross. But I just want to reinforce one more time to you. Jesus is here in this setting very specifically in the center of the will of His Father. He is fulfilling the mission for which He has come to earth. And He is silent before His accusers. Let me tell you what the Lord spoke to me this week as I began to to delve into this passage. And here is what I believe the Lord has to speak to our hearts here this morning. When we read this passage, if we look at it from the surface understanding, it appears that Jesus is on trial. But I want to move beyond this morning the surface to get to the essence, I believe, of what is actually happening here and has been unfolding over these days of Passion Week. Because in reality, it is not Jesus who is on trial, but all those who surround him. It is not Jesus this morning who is being judged. It is Jesus who is judging our hearts. He's looking at our hearts. And his silence is a testimony to that. He has nothing to defend. He stands before all of those pure and holy and righteous and just. Perfect. In all of His ways. And all those around Him look at Him. And in looking at Him, it is their hearts which are exposed. That is what we're going to look at this morning. The exposing of our hearts. We're going to back up just a bit to look at Judas. Well, actually, before we do that, two scriptures. I read this this morning. I've been reading through Ezekiel. Now that we're done with the New Testament, which by the way, has been enormously enriching. But I read this this morning in Ezekiel. And it just, it absolutely encapsulates what I think the Lord wants to do here this morning. And so I'm just going to share it with you. And this, remember, if you've got your bulletin, and if you look up here at the banner, or the banner out in the, uh, out in the lobby, this year is a year of return. 
And so listen to the word of the Lord. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return. They will return to it and remove all of its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Remember our key text for this year is Jeremiah 31 to 33. And Jeremiah says the very same thing and talks about God giving us hearts of flesh. Here's what I believe God wants us to, wants to do this morning. He wants to transform hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. He wants to transform eyes that have been captivated by all of these other things, hearts that have been wooed by all of these other lovers. And the Lord God Almighty is here today. Jesus Christ is standing before you with eyes of fire looking into your heart and says, with love, he says, come, come on, return, return to me. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. They will be my people. And I will be their God. But in order to do this, there's something you and I have to understand. And Jeremiah gets at, at it. He goes right to the heart of the matter. Forgive the pun on that, but he does. He goes right to the heart of it. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, examine the mind, to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Our hearts... Deceive us, people. We don't even understand our own hearts. It's true. I don't understand my own heart. The longer I've walked with the Lord, the more I recognize that I don't understand my heart. The more I'm aware of His cross and the grace, the more I'm aware of my desperate need of the cross and the grace. You don't graduate. (laughs) You simply get to, once again, humble yourself before Him. And humble your heart before Him. So we're going to look at some hearts this morning. Perhaps, as we hold up the mirror of the Word to our own lives, we might actually recognize our own hearts here today. And I ask, I have, I have this very clear sense, I had this very clear sense all week long that the Lord was literally going to come and actually stand right in front of us. I just had this sense of Him actually coming and standing in front of us, each one of us, and looking into our Jesus loved Judas. Listen to me. Jesus loved Judas. 
Jesus continued to open his hand and his heart to Judas, even knowing that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus continued to hold his hand open. He continually holds his hand open to us. What was exposed in Judas' heart? What was exposed in Judas' heart was greed. John tells us this was right after Mary had taken the expensive perfume and poured it out at Jesus' feet. And Judas is rebuking her for what she has done and says, you know, could not that have been sold and the, and, and, and the earnings of that given to the poor? And John says he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You know, the offering basket would go around and Judas would have his hand in there as it was going by. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's a gut check, people. We live in a culture that worships money. It's true. We got temples to it all over the land. There's a big one just down on 494. A big temple of commerce. Money is what makes and drives our culture. And it's so easy for that to come and get embedded into our own hearts. And so here is my question for us this morning. Would you please allow the Lord to look into your heart and ask this question, what master am I serving? What master am I serving? Who's making the decisions in my life? Judas, coming to the table, looking in the face, looking in the eyes of Jesus, chose... 30 pieces of silver over eternal life with his king. You know, what are you choosing? What are you choosing? You're never going to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Because when we leave, we're going to leave everything. So who are you going to serve now? Now we got Peter. Bless Peter's heart. We've already been talking about Peter for a while. But I want you to notice, I think, here's what's going on in his heart. Maybe this is going on in your heart. There's, a, there's an insecurity about Peter. There's a, an insecurity that's sort of an instability. He's, he's back and forth. One minute he gets it, and the next minute it's far from him. I understand. I, I mean, I, this one definitely resonates with myself. I mean, there's that place of, I trust you, Lord, but do I really trust you? Right? 
There's this insecurity. He's not fully secure and down. And, and, and again, Pastor Dave referenced this scripture last week. Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, maybe most of you know this, but let me remind you. Simon became Peter when? When did Simon, when did Jesus change his name to Peter? When? When you are the, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When he had that revelation of who Jesus truly was, Jesus says, I'm no longer going to call you Simon, I'm going to call you Peter the Rock. Now, we know that Peter means rock. What does the word Simon mean? What's the, what is it? Reed. A reed does this. A rock does this. Here we are after Peter's confession of faith, confession of understanding, revelation, but Jesus comes back and uses his name Simon, Simon. I understand that there's still this, this, this thing going on in your heart. And Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. There's going to be a shaking going on in your life, Simon. And we're going to see what comes out on the other side. But I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that when you've gone through this, you're going to be able to encourage your brothers. So here's my question to us this morning is, how am I being sifted? And what is God wanting to shake out of my life? What places of insecurity and instability is he wanting to shake out of my life? Guess what? The enemy knows and is going to go right after the places where you have a lack of trust. He's going to go right into those places where your life is like a reed. Have you ever figured this out that you end up facing the same stuff over and over and over again? You ever figured that out? But God, I've already gone to that class. He says, well, guess what? You're going to get to go through it again. So here's my question to us this morning. How am I being sifted and what is being shaken out? Now we get to the folks who are present right in our passage this morning. The Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, made up of three distinct groups of people, makes up 70, plus the high priest makes 71. This is the high council. This is, this is the, the supreme court. This is the chief monkey mucks of Israel. Okay, These are the ones who make the determination about what's going to go down for the people of Israel. And what is getting exposed in their hearts? Self-preservation and institutional preservation. Here's what's getting exposed in the midst of... I mean, Jesus comes along. He's got a message. He is the Messiah. He's speaking truth to them, but they don't want to hear it. Why? Because if they listen to what Jesus says to them, everything that they believe about themselves 
and about even the institutions which they control are going to have to change. And how many of you like to change? I don't see those hands. Because, let's be honest, we don't want change. Change what change? Don't talk to me about change. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do you need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Don't misunderstand. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew who he was claiming to be. And as soon as he used those words, to see the Son of Man sitting, their their ears just stopped. As soon as they heard him say, it is as you say, boom. This is the fulcrum point. Here's the decision moment. Here's the decision moment in your and my heart. Here's the question. Where am I seeking to preserve my own control over my life and my circumstances? Where have I been unwilling to open my hands and my heart? Where do I still want to keep my hands on the steering wheel of my life? We don't like change because we want to be in control. Let's be honest. Come on. Let's just be real. (laughs) This is true. Not just for you, but for me. Institutionally, this is why institutions don't want... Why do you think all of these rulers over right now North Africa, Middle East area. Why are they all, you know, I mean, one of the guys, the guy in the Ivory Coast, isn't he like in a bunker? Underground? Everything's been taken? But he's like, I'm not letting go. Well, brother, you got nothing left. What are you hanging on to? You're hiding in a hole. That's the extreme But institutions, this is the way institutions, this is what, God help us, I pastor a church. This is, you know, this is an organic reality, but there's also an organization around this, and there's a certain amount of preservation that we, you know, we want to hold, hang on to things the way they are. Come on, we just do, there's an institute, but this is, We've never done it that way before. God, help us 
to recognize where we are hanging on in our hearts, institutionally, corporately, individually, and corporately. What are we hanging on to that God's saying, you know what? What a great example, Peggy, today. Thank you, Peggy, just sharing the testimony. Good thing going. And God says, well, here's what I want to do. I want you to, I want you to kill that and lay it down. But, 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 but. Lay it down. It's after your heart. And if you want to save your life, you're going to have to lose it. God, help me. Help us. Help us. If we're honest, we don't want to lose our lives. Jesus, have mercy. All right. Next, we have the guards. The guards mocking Jesus. Their hatred. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of some of your bitterness. Get rid of a couple of the 20 things you're hanging on to. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. If you hang on to those things, they will kill you. They will kill you. Those guards flogging, spitting, bowing in false homage, putting the crown, putting the robe, mocking. All they did was expose their own hearts. The question that I have to ask myself, is the Holy Spirit grieved by any of the attitudes that I'm harboring in my heart? Am I harboring anything that would be grieving to him? If the crowd, here's the issue with the crowd, they're blind. There's a blindness. And Paul writes about this blindness in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Well, why don't people come to Jesus? Because they can't see Him. Because they've been blinded. And how about our own hearts? Where has the God of this age blinded us to the reality of who Jesus is? In what ways have I allowed unbelief to blind my eyes? In what way have I allowed unbelief to blind my eyes? 
still with me? Come on, we're almost there. The Lord is just exposing our hearts. Jesus, help us. Help us, Jesus, have mercy. Help us, Lord. Finally, we have Pilate. Pilate's functioning out of fear. This is what gets exposed in his heart. At the end of our passage this morning, or right towards the end in verse 15, wanting to, listen to this, listen to it, underline it, wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them and had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Let me ask you, how many times have we allowed fear to influence our decisions and actions? Wanting to satisfy the crowd. The Spirit of God leads, the enemy drives. And he drives through the flesh, through the world, through his own minions after us, but I want you to understand, I want you to know that, that, that our hearts can be, are, are often exposed by the things that we do and what influences the decisions and the actions that we make. By the unhealed places in our hearts, by the people around us, by all of these things that just are like, Oh, they're like the um, the ropes in uh, what's what's that guy Gulliver, you know? <laughs> they're the ropes of the Lilliputians that are just hooking us and binding us. Where has fear gotten a hold of your heart? All right, our hearts are exposed before Him. I don't know about you, but... Oh, Jesus. I just want to run away and hide. I do. It's like, this is way too vulnerable, Lord. This is way too close to my, where I live. Jesus, are you, want, are you coming that close? Jesus. But I want you to invite you to stay there because I've got some really good news to close with here. Because Jesus is not only interested in exposing our hearts, what he's really after, and the reason that he exposes our hearts is because he's into restoring hearts. The Word of God, Jesus is the Word of God, and his Word is like a, a living and active sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Whether you know it or not this morning, whether you're saying, oh no, not me, I'm not exposing my heart. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. I'm going to be like Adam and Eve. I just sinned. I'm going to get me some fig leaves here, all right? I'm going to go hide. I'm going to go hide. And he comes along and he says, 
are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Last scripture. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. This then is how we know we belong to the truth, the Apostle John tells us. 1 John 3, 19-24. This is how we know. How we set our hearts at rest in His presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Here's the antidote, people. Here's how it happens. God is greater than our hearts. And He knows everything. So dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe, to believe, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He had commanded us. Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. Do you know today that he's living in you? Do you know? Is your heart still condemning you this morning? If it is, the good news that I have to share with you today is God is greater than your heart. Yes, your heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says, and who can understand it? And the answer is God can understand it. And he does understand it. He understands your heart. He knows, you know, you know what? You think God doesn't see if you're harboring greed in your heart? Do you think he's like surprised by this? You think he's going, oh my, I didn't know that. If there's insecurity in your heart, do you think God's up there going, oh, I didn't know. Do you think today if you are preserving yourself or whatever institution, you know, if you're hanging on for dear life to yourself, do you think God doesn't know that? If you're holding on to bitterness, hatred, malice, anger, those things, if there's a hot coal in your heart, do you think God doesn't know about it? If you've been blinded and you're not seeing, do you think God's surprised? If there's fear in your heart, don't you think he sees how that's affecting your behaviors and your attitudes? He knows our hearts. So don't run and hide. You know? Like the kid, the monster, you know? It can't get me if it can't see me. God's no monster. He's a lover of your soul. He loves you desperately. He loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. He doesn't want to leave you. And your heart, captured by all of this, he wants to set you free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God wants to set your heart at liberty. He wants to set your heart free. All right. Worship team, come on up. 
One of my very favorite hymns. I used to keep the words in my wallet. Love it that much. Search me, O God. Go ahead and put it up if you would. Cleanse me. So here, we're going to have an opportunity to respond this morning because it would just be wrong not to have opportunity to respond. So, this is a really a prayer for God to know our hearts today. He's not on trial today. And in a sense, I mean, trial is a strong word, but He is trying our hearts. He's testing, He's looking, He's peering in. And uh, I got, you've got to understand, people, when the Lord speaks this kind of a word, it, the sword passes through my own heart first. I'm not standing before you here like I'm up here and you're here. My heart is exposed before him as well. So in that place of exposure, I just invite you. Can we just stand together right now? It'll help people to be able to get out if they'd like to. We're just going to open up this altar area. And I want you to understand something about the altar. There's nothing magic about the altar, but it is a place, a touch point where we can, you know, I mean, Peggy's saying this morning, it was right here when God spoke this to me. He can do that right where you are right there. But sometimes when you engage your body, it helps just to move and to come. And these, this altar has been designed to reflect the arms of God. This is the arms of God coming to shelter and reach out. So if your heart's condemning you this morning, let the Holy Spirit convict. The enemy condemns, but the Spirit of God convicts in order to bring freedom. Maybe you need to come to Christ today. You've never received Him. And the Holy Spirit, you don't have that witness in your heart. I know Jesus. He knows me. Come today. Receive Him. Maybe one of these other areas has touched your life today. I won't review them again, but you know where the Holy Spirit, maybe something else the Spirit of God has revealed to you today as Jesus has come and stood before you. So I'm going to ask everybody to stay in the room as we sing this. I'm going to give a closing prayer after that, but if you want to come to the altar and join me here, come now. Here we go. Search me. Just open your hands wherever you are at the altar out in the audience. Just open your hands as you pray benediction. Lord Jesus, as you have come to us today, you have stood before us and you have exposed our hearts by your word. Thank you, faithful one, for loving us so deeply and so well that you were willing to go through all of the agony that you did in order that we might truly be free. So Lord Jesus, we welcome you to continue to do this work in each of our lives, Lord. Continue, Lord, to expose our hearts to you. Lord Jesus, we don't want to hide. We don't want to run. We want to receive, Lord, from you all, all.
that you have. Come. Plant this word deep in us, Lord, and may it spring up and bear much fruit for your glory. And now I pray as you go that you might be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, and the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, may the banner of His favor and grace be upon your life. May His goodness chase you down. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.